Wagner County, homicides in the Hartman. Thank you for joining us while Claire, Carrie, and I discuss the collected evidence against Nicole Kissinger. We are coming to you today from Return to Nature Funeral Home in Colorado Springs, Colorado. No, we are not sponsored by the funeral home. We just so happen to live here at the funeral home. We are self-proclaimed experts in true crime because of the internet. Keep in mind this podcast is based upon our opinion. We have done a tremendous amount of research with regards to every aspect of this with every bit of information that we could find and have created the most detailed and collective outline of events with regards to Nicole Kissinger's involvement. We are considering uploading that in a PDF form. We would love to hear back from you, so please provide us with your feedback, and we hope that you enjoy. So when we first heard about Chris Watts, we lived in... We weren't living in Denver, were we? We were living in Colorado Springs, and we'd seen that there was a missing... Um, Frederick, Colorado woman and her children. And then the next day we saw the interview on Denver 7 of Chris Watts pleading with the public for her safe return. Yes. And immediately, as soon as we saw him on the TV, I looked at Sis and said, he totally did it. Mm -hmm. I think all of America remembers that. Uh, it was pretty obvious that he had done something. We didn't realize to the extent of what he had done until uh, until as the uh, case unfolded, and then Which from there, unfolded very rapidly. It did unfold rapidly. The whole everything happened very rapidly over a, like a three month period for Chris Watts. But uh, what's happened since his uh, confession and conviction is that we've learned throughout all of that about Nicole Kissinger or Nikki, who was his uh, girlfriend or the self-proclaimed mistress as she referred to herself. And that since then, there's been a tremendous amount of conspiracy theory on whether she was involved or if she knew anything about what was happening or if she helped or encouraged him or was just completely clueless and duped like uh, everyone else in the Watts circle. Um, when we, when this first happened in 2018, I was absolutely a believer that she had nothing to do with it. And then we started seeing YouTube videos and posts and conspiracy theories and text messages and search history and phone pings and just a number of different things that have absolutely raised some red flags that, uh, Nikki could have potentially been involved in the... Chris Watts family murders. Um, if you're not familiar with Chris Watts, get familiar with him. He's the guy in 2018 who killed his wife and his uh, children, his three children. Three children. That's right. Yes. His, his Unbo- one, yeah, two little girls and one unborn child. His he, um, wife was pregnant. 15 weeks pregnant. So what we are going to do is we're going to go through all the things that uh, are being said about Nicole Kissinger and vet them with regards to the actual tangible evidence that exists. If there's something actionable here that's against her, because there's things from search history to pings to the neighbor seeing a vehicle, uh, a truck, um, to her being pregnant, to pawning rings, to Amber Fry, insurance scams, Thrive competitors. There's so much here with regards to what her potential involvement was, if there was any involvement whatsoever. So to recap, in June of 2018, Chris and Nikki both stand by their story that they met at work, which was Anna Darko, a big hitter in the oil industry here in Colorado, and that their relationship basically just took off from there. At the end of June, Chris had gone to San Diego with his wife, and he was texting and messaging back and forth with Nikki the entire time. The day that they got back from San Diego, June 26, 2018, that same day, Shannon and the girls, Chris's wife and daughters, flew to North Carolina to stay out there with family for five weeks, leaving Chris at home. Again, uh, 
giving Nikki that impression of him being uh, more free or having more freedom than what he normally does. They get back from North Carolina on uh, August the 7th. His wife turns around and leaves again on August the 9th, and she's gone until August the 12th. And then, of course, August the night of August the 12th, early, early morning. August the 13th is when the murders had taken place. Whether he uh, killed the little girls there at the house or he killed them out at the oil site, whether he planned on uh, putting all of them inside of the oil tanks, whether he planned on burying all of them, uh, whether he had planned on initially burning the bodies and then putting them in the tanks, who knows? What we do know is that uh, right off the bat, from the moment that his wife's plane was delayed, everything was working against Chris, um, whatever the plan was. And that, which is something that's always stood out to me and I've always wondered, why are we not seeing a push for anyone really nailing Chris down to say, hey, what was the plan? What was your right. plan Yeah. Uh, that got foiled by his wife's friend showing up and calling the police and then or his co-workers uh, coming out to the site where he had uh, placed the bodies yes. well before he expected them, if he expected them at all that day. Obviously, or hope you would, you would think he had a better plan than what actually took place. I mean... I don't know. Uh, Chris is kind of a simple-minded, I don't want to say slow, but just kind of a simple-minded guy who has never really been uh, somebody that uh, you would sit back and go, oh yeah, he's a player, or he's smooth, or he's someone that is uh, has a reputation of being mischievous or deviant. Now, Chris, I don't, if there was a plan, which I believe there was, and I think the evidence shows that there was a plan, um, it was not a very well thought out one. Right. Because he's not a very well thought out guy yeah but things definitely got rushed and sprung on him when he was not expecting it and i think that's why he caved as quickly as he did with law enforcement is because he felt like he had nowhere to go and didn't have time to think about it and like i said he's not exactly the sharpest or brightest crown in the box however that goes um what do you think do you think that uh, nikki was involved I think that they either came up with a plan together or she just knew about it, but I don't think she was like directly involved in murdering them. Like in the physical act of it? Yeah. That she was involved in the planning of it? Yes. What about you? What do you think? I personally believe that she was not involved. I think she was guilty of, you know, uh, being involved with a married man who had a family, but beyond that, I genuinely do not think that she knew what was going to happen. Well, I uh, I went into this trying to be as objective as possible, and after spending a tremendous amount of time pouring over every single bit of tangible evidence that we could possibly get our hands on and reviewing all the conspiracies and going over all the nonsense. We've narrowed it down to about 13 beefs with Nikki that the public seems to have with regards to did she or did she not know or have any direct involvement with the murder of Shannon, um, Bella, and, and Cece, and, and Nico. Nico, and Nico. The first is the search history. Yes, she did have some search history that showed that uh, that Nikki was making some searches for the Watts family prior to April of 2018 when she allegedly started working for the company that had contracted with Anadarko, the company that her and Chris both worked for together. Those searches consist of September 1st of 2017 for Shannon, August 3rd of 2017 for Chris Watts, January 7th of 2018 for Shannon Watts. Now, those are only only a fragment of the text messages and searches and things that were discovered on her phone. If you're familiar with the case, then you know that right off the bat, 
that uh, Nikki made an effort to destroy all the data on her phone and her SIM card and to remove any trace of her and Chris's relationship uh, from any, any uh, existence. And in doing so, uh, she did a lot of damage to her uh, SIM card and to her phone's history. And then when she got a new phone, that data was also able to upload to her new phone and the police made an attempt to obtain that data as well. And in doing so, this is only a portion, a fraction of what you see from her phone. And when questioned about this further, the district attorney's office did confirm these are the things that the detectives found on her phone. There's speculation of somewhere being a typo, uh, but there's a few typos and things like that throughout all of this case file. You know, we don't, we're missing about 195 or more pages from the case file that have been redacted or held back from the public. Some of those things you're able to find through leaked documents and piece them together and narrow it down to about 130 something documents. However, throughout all of those things, you're not really able to see anything more of her search history before April of 2018 besides these three. There's speculation that she had an internship out at Anadarko at some time a year to a year and a half before uh, her actual start date with that subcompany. Uh, that's unconfirmed. However, she did graduate from the University of Colorado uh, in 2013. She is a geologist. Anadarko is kind of like the big name in oil in her field in the state of Colorado. So the likelihood that she had some sort of interaction or seen or knowledge of Chris Watts before she started in April of 2018, there's reasonable doubt that that could have happened and that she could have just looked him up or creeped him right. or that there's nothing whatsoever to indicate from their um, phone records, emails, text messages, or his behavior, which I think is the most telling, that there was any form of relationship whatsoever between the two of them before June of 2018. Right. I um, think, I think genuinely, honestly, that if she had an internship there during that time, you know, I don't know what he looked like at that point in time, but I'm sure he was well on his way of losing all of that weight and getting all in shape. So I'm sure he caught her eye, you know, passing through the office or just hearing word about who he was. And out of curiosity, because this is what girls do, um, just looked him up and, you know, out of curiosity. Is this guy single or, you know, oh, no, he's married. Oh, let me look up. Let me look up his wife, you know. Mm hmm. Well, it's funny is that what you just described is actually kind of the narrative that he describes for how they met is casually just running into each other here and there. Uh, he eventually introduced himself. She in one of her interviews kind of confirms that. And to me, that's what stood out the most in between reading all of the case file, all of the interviews, watching all of the nonsense is to try to map out the things that they both say at separate times, even if they change their story that uh, match one another, that match what mm -hmm. actually. And that to me is what I feel is we're able to piece together through all the bullshit because that's what Chris Watts is. And he, he will say one thing and then turn around and say something else or just make things up or he thinks that he's smarter than everyone else and he's got some grandiose scheme. And that, that's why I'm of the belief that he did not murder the girls out at the, at the well site, that he had done it at the house and that he potentially had drugged them with uh, Oxycontin. But again, that's all theory and that's not what this is about. This is about Nicole, about Nikki. Uh, you know, there's the ping that took place on the morning of the murder from her phone at 6.16 a.m. in Frederick, Colorado. We know that she lived about 20, 25 uh, miles away from where Chris lived. Uh, looking at her phone history, it is unusual. Uh, to, at the most to say that she were to have a ping at that time. Now we do know from the GPS on Chris's phone that he left his house at uh, 5.45 a.m. And so that if she were at the house that morning, that means that she was hanging out in Frederick for a good 30 minutes or more after Chris had already left and his GPS shows that he's well on his way. Um, that that itself doesn't even make sense. Right. Why would she just be hanging out right. there? 
I mean, you could say, well, she stayed behind to help kind of clean up, but wouldn't... Well, there's no surveillance be, to show yeah, her. Say, wouldn't there be some kind of video or some somewhere? And she would have to lock the place up. And... Well, I mean, everyone goes on about the, the video surveillance from Nate the neighbor at 518. You see someone walking out uh, of the house and they claim that, oh, there she is. You can tell by the ponytail and the hair behind the ear. And then the neighbor, Betty, who saw the vehicle that's out in front of her house. Uh, that was a silver truck. Um, and so obviously it has to be Nikki that was there at the house. Well, there's absolutely nothing that backs any of that up. Uh, that video, I, I feel, clearly shows that it's Chris. Mm -hmm. uh, as, as it progresses, you see that it's the exact same outfit. There's the argument about the pair of jeans and that she wore something else. And to me, I think what stands out the most is who it is that she's uh, calling at 616 and pinging in Frederick. Uh, this is a 29 who, a girl who's 29 who just turned 30. She's single. She has a track record of kind of just being flaky and all over the place. Her phone history, if anything, is riddled with multiple guys. Throughout her and Chris's uh, two and a half month relationship, she is talking to this uh, to another guy and possibly two other guys. Uh, there's eHarmony accounts and dates set up and. She is just being a late 20s, early 30s, single, uh, no marriage, no kids, girl who's just messing around. And yeah. she's messing around with a married man, and she knows he's married, and she knows he has kids. Uh, her search histories show that she knew all these things, regardless of what she says, to try and save face. But at 6.16 a.m. on the morning of the murder, it's uh, Jim, her her guy that has the Wisconsin uh, area code that lives in Denver. Uh, that's who she's trying to get a hold of. Uh, same later that day, she takes off work. This is the day of the murder. She takes off at three o'clock by 345 or somewhere in that area. She's on the phone with Jim again. And apparently he came over to her house and hung out that whole day. During that time, her and Chris are kind of on a ghost communication because she's hooking up with Jim. Yeah, he's got her attention at that moment. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly how she is. It's whoever is in front of her at that moment is who is getting her attention. And because she's flaky and aloof, just like you said. Absolutely. And her phone history shows that. And as the as the days progress after the murders and after the his arrest and what came out, she did her interviews. She talks to that gym guy back and forth. But at the end of August, the 1st of September, her phone records just take off with her and Jim communicating. And almost like like they're in a relationship with uh, how much they're communicating. Mm -hmm. And that continues out through the rest of what her phone records that we have available to us. So I think that phone pinging in Frederick that morning at that time. Was it her? Could have been. Yeah, I think it's a very good possibility that yes, it was her. But I think she either had it, it was probably one of two scenarios. She was on her way to work and thought, well, let me, let me, because knowing she knew Chris's wife was getting home that morning. So she thought, well, maybe I'll just swing by and see if his car is still there or his truck or did they, you know, is he really telling me everything? Are they really getting a divorce? I'm just going to see and drive, do a drive-by if he's, you know, if he slept in with her um, or who knows. Or the other scenario could be that she got herself all worked up thinking, you know, she's going to go and confront Shanann knowing that Chris would not be there. So whether she was going to go and confront Shanann about the whole situation or just ask Shanann, you know, are you guys, you know, what's up? I just, I think she maybe thought about it and wanted to hear a little bit of uh, Shanann's point of view, but talked herself out of it and went on to work. I completely disagree with that. I think that she did go by there that morning and I think that she went by there being the crazy girl that 
uh, I do agree that, yeah, Shannon came in that night. She knew that. She hadn't really talked to him uh, since they got off the phone late, late, late that night. Remember, they had been on the phone for uh, almost two hours uh, right before Shannon got home from the airport. I think whatever happened in that three and a half hour period between Chris and Shannon and the girls, um, that that next morning, Nikki was just driving by to go see if Chris was still there, to see if his truck was there, to see if Shannon was there. Uh, I think that uh, his her boyfriend, who was married's wife, just got home and that she was acting nuts about it. Yeah. And I, well, then why wouldn't she just tell the police about it? Well, I think that her dad is the reason that she didn't tell the police about it. And I also think that her dad is the whole reason that she came in in the first place instead of disappearing. And if you read her testimony or her uh, answer to investigators on her very first interview, she says that she met with her dad and they discussed getting that information to the police. And you can tell by her interview, she does not want to be there. She wants to be as removed uh, from all of this as she possibly can be. And I also feel like she knew absolutely that he was married and that she was pregnant and that she was messing around with other guys and it was kind of exciting and that she's the, you know, he's the guy that all the girls at work thinks hot now and she's actually screwing around with him and they don't even know about it. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden, Chris, you know, she doesn't know the psyche and the other side of Chris Watts. And so when all those things had taken place, and yes, her crazy behavior and her sending crazy nude pictures and back and forth and up and down and all over the place with him over that amount of time, because she's reacting to the emotions of him being married and how she's feeling about him, that, uh, yeah, I feel like she just drove over there. And the reason that she kept it shut is because her dad told her to keep her mouth shut. Mm -hmm. And that they went into the police and he said, you tell them as little as possible. You tell them um, what they need to hear and nothing else. Well, Dad, I actually had driven by his house the morning of the murder. Well, you better not tell him, tell them any of that. Just keep your mouth shut. Tell them as little, be as sketchy as you can. And that's exactly what I would, that's what I would say to my kids. Like, if you be as quiet and give them as little as possible. Right. Um, rightly so. You've been sleeping around with a married man whose wife is pregnant and he just went and did this horrible thing and at the time of this interview, she didn't exactly know what he had done, but I think all of America knew that he had done something. Mm -hmm. It was pretty obvious. And I think to for people to really get a sense of who Nicole Kissinger is, you almost have to sit and listen to that uh, police interview. Mm -hmm. It's like an hour and a half long. And that's really because genuinely when I... Um, before we started all of this, I really was leaning towards her being involved and being part of it. But you just have to really, you kind of get a feel for who she is and the type of person that she is after that whole interview. So oh, absolutely. Just, that was just a side note. Well, you just listen to things that she says about her ex, her ex-boyfriend, Sean, and then the text messages and <clears throat> interviews with co-workers from Anna Darko. They all basically call her crazy in that she was emotional and would fly off the handle about things. She showed all the classic signs of just being that, you know, that girl mm -hmm. who will become anybody to be with whoever right. she's and with. And she did that little giggle, mm -hmm. like that little fake giggle, <laughs> you know, when she was leaving him messages. And... You know, and then just hearing her speak normally sounded nothing like that. She was just being a character. Absolutely. And there's no tangible evidence to show that she was some sort of Thrive competitor who was on this years-long trek to have revenge over Shannon for some sort of sales nonsense. There's nothing to show that Nikki had gotten pregnant and there's a Watts baby out there just waiting to be groomed to become the next hot uh, American murderer. There's there was no insurance evidence of insurance scam where they were trying to have the bodies out there and then blow the whale side up. I mean, just that's just nonsense. It's just people really who just want there to be something here mm -hmm. that that want to believe that there's something more than this is just some girl who ultimately. 
thinks that she's tremendously much more hotter than what she really is, who got wrapped up and duped by some guy who fit the perfect profile for somebody who had been shy, introvert, passive, easygoing, who had been extremely dominated and felt like his wife had uh, completely taken away his identity and belittled him and the little girls were starting to like pick up the wife's verbiage and mannerisms and belittle him and he unknowingly had just fit into this mold and autopilot lived there and then when this girl comes along you know he's the guy who had never really had experience dating he was always a kind of a chunky guy he had just in the last few years lost all that weight, gotten really into shape for the first time, had girls noticing him, and he started noticing that. He, mm -hmm. he says that he pursued Nikki and that she actually kind of uh, dropped something in an interview that she was more of the pursuer of him as well. And everything really fits the profile of him finally, like, oh my gosh, getting the life or a chance of getting the life that he always thought that he never knew that he really wanted and she mm -hmm. showed him that and he killed his family to try to preserve that because she sucked in and just yeah it well, was like I an mean, addiction the two times that we have tangible evidence that she went over to his house july 4th what really happened that day is that you know she was on the the ledge again like he called it shannon had blown up his phone he had to leave. Nikki got upset about it. She just showed up over at the Watts house and walked right up to the front door and he wasn't expecting her. Uh, the second time was around April 14th. There could have potentially been a third time, but so what? There's nothing that shows that she had any involvement or knowledge that uh, he was going to annihilate his family for her. Well, what about Becky Fry? Well, yeah, she was she self-identifies herself as a mistress. And at that time, um, who was America's mistress? You know, right. Monica Lewinsky and Amber Fry. And mm -hmm. that's who we thought of. And so I did the search of Amber Fry. And sure enough, right there gives the, the option to continue searching. The suggested right, searches. For um, her book deal and for her net worth and for where is she now and what does she look like now and all these things and that's the path that from her search history it looks like she took so for her to look up Amber Fry she's self-identifying as Amber Fry if she clicked on those other links to look at those other things it was just because they were there and uh, any normal human being out of curiosity is going to just continue to go down that rabbit hole right um that's that That's, is not something to hold against her and say, well, that, there you go. That shows that she's... No, it's human nature. Human nature. Curiosity. And, um, you know, every, I've heard and I've read something somewhere, or maybe I heard something say, well, everyone hates Nikki, but no one hates Amber Fry because Amber came out and told the truth. Well, I think that Nikki did too, to Nikki's best ability to come out and tell the truth. Nikki, what she wanted to do is immediately shut down, separate herself, and do damage control and have as much distance between her and Chris Watts and that relationship as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, not at all because I felt that she felt, oh gosh, people are gonna think that I was involved in this murder. No, I think she was like, oh no, people are gonna know I was involved with a married man. Right. And that that's was really what her concern was. Um, because from what I can tell, Nikki's chief concern is herself and you know what rightly so mm -hmm. she's in her late 20s early 30s when all this went down she didn't have any kids she lived in a townhouse in uh, a suburb of denver colorado she was an outdoorsy girl she's the you know the chucks and t-shirt and jeans girl and uh yeah she's that girl that you know she's not overly attractive but she is you know I would say somewhat attract, attractive enough, but she's like bar, also she's bar attractive. like yeah. probably one that has you know a nicer body than than her face, and she makes up for that in her overtly flirtatious mannerisms and getting guys' attention, doing that, and just so having... clear, you just referred to Nikki as a butterface. <laughs> well. <laughs> Yeah, she's definitely, she's the 1.30 in the morning on a Friday night bar hot. 
That's mm -hmm. what kind of hot she is. She thinks that she's front page of Maxim Magazine hot. Uh, and you can tell that by the way she carries herself, her little looks and her photos mm -hmm. and stuff. That she, but all of that plays in the fact that guys hit on her. Yeah, that's because a, a ton of guys are probably trying to hook up with her, trying to sleep with her. And she doesn't understand that. She takes that as, well, that just means that I'm really hot. And I'm sure all of that's helped play into her psyche. And I don't even know how we got down going down this I rabbit know. hole. And I'm sure we're going to get a ton of comments about this right. little tidbit here. But it's true, though. That does play into her psyche versus his psyche as being a guy who has never been in that situation before. And to her, messing around with a married man, whether she had or had not before, she has... Uh, by her track record, had plenty of experience of talking to multiple guys at the same time and dating around multiple guys at the same time. And she's probably, at that age, had a good 10 plus years experience in doing that. Chris, however, had not. On his very first date with Shan Ann, she, she wasn't impressed with him because he was underdressed and didn't know how to behave. And uh, he's lucky he got another date out of it. He was just now starting to come into his own with regards to... Uh, Chris's own sexuality and him being able to feel like he was contributing mask being masculine and contribute to the the herd of being a viable man and all of that plays into his psyche as well and she just amplified that and he repeatedly refers to her as being just taking his breath away and was crazy about her and when she wanted to break things off on the couple times that she wanted to break things off, it was because he was married and she knew that this was not going anywhere because of that. Right. She had moments of reality checks. <clears throat> yes. Um, she told him on August the 14th to pawn the ring. So what? Uh, you know, she could have been just playing cat and mouse with him at that point. She could have been upset thinking that Shannon actually had ran off with the girls could have just been her giving a quick answer, running her mouth. But he's like, what do I do with the ring? And she says, pawn it. Uh, so what? I mean, that's, I don't think there's anything there for people to go, that's a huge red flag. Why would she say that? No, she, I can totally imagine him, you know, asking her that. And she's just kind of like, well, I don't know. Just, I don't, whatever, just pawn it. <laughs> well, again, put yourself in her yeah. place at that time. You know, she's. Uh, again, she's been up all night. I mean, I'm, uh, we're assuming people are familiar with the Chris Watts case. Uh, the night that, uh, that Monday, the 13th, they were on the phone that night from about 9 o'clock until about 2.30 the next morning. And so he, uh, all he wanted to talk about was their relationship and reassurance from her about, about the relationship. Mm -hmm. That's incidentally the same night that they FaceTime. He's sitting there on the mattress where the CBI had taken the top sheet so they could do forensics on it. Um, and she mentions that in one of her interviews. And I feel like, again, if she were involved, that's not something that she would just be bringing up and volunteering. Uh, but, but there's so many of those little things. What about the red car in the video? Or did she own a little red or a little S10 pickup truck? No, no, none of those things are related to her, nor do they have anything to uh, any tangible evidence to show that she had any other vehicle. Again, 29, 30-year-old girl, suburb, Denver. She had a white forerunner, uh, and th that was it. There was no, she's not the type of person in, in, at that time in her life to have access or to own multiple vehicles. Yeah, why would she need multiple vehicles? Again, Especially is, living in a townhouse apartment. No, this is people just reaching for it. Well, what about the oxycodone? That's another one. You know, because Chris says that the first night of July 31st when he's in North Carolina that he had given Shannon uh, 800 milligrams of uh, oxy to, or something for her head is what he told her and she just took it and drank it and that uh, he would never say where he got that from and that uh, it was from a friend and that was the end of it. Well, one, we know Chris didn't have really any friends. Two, we know from his search, in, uh, search history that when he did look up oxycodone. It was after they had uh, returned from North Carolina. Three, a good point that you made the other day is that she didn't respect him enough to just take something that, some tonic that he mixed up and hands her no. to take a drink. There's no way she would just say, okay, Chris. Or, you know, she's pregnant and she's a very controlling person. I mean, you mm -hmm. know, she wants things done to a certain 
standard and that goes for herself. She's not gonna just take some medication not knowing what it is, especially being pregnant. Well, not just that, but I mean, she uh, had has lupus and she contributes Thrive, the company that she worked for and those patches and the things about Thrive uh, to why she stopped taking her lupus medication in the first place and was as healthy as she was at that point in her life. Uh, so she was very conscious about what she put in her body and what it was. And for him to just mix something up and tell her, this is for your headache, honey. And her to just take it, it not at all. Yeah. Does None of that fits the scenario with I mean, them whatsoever. Maybe she did, but maybe she it, did. that would be very surprising to well, me. Well, because there was talk of her being sick and how unempathetic that he was to her while she was sick. And that it was most likely the oxy that made her sick. I don't think that's what happened. You know, I think that... It, if there's oxy involved at all, it plays into the narrative that he most likely um, gave it to his daughters instead of him because he didn't have the courage to sit and strangle them. However, there's the talk of his their sheets being smelly. That could have been from coming home from the water balloon water fight and having sand and dirt and them just running and jumping straight into their beds because they're three and four years old on that Sunday. But Or they could have uh, messed themselves while he was strangling them in their beds that night, or it could have just been dirty sheets. I mean, there's no telling. I doubt I the dirty sheets because they're such clean freaks and Shannon was on top of those things. Um, but I just I, feel like there's a lot of things that, you know, people are taking as gospel because right. Chris confessed to that right. or Chris said that in the book. The letters. Yeah, yes. but. Well, we've both seen. Chris there's... has said a lot of things and he, you know, in even in the interrogation, his, I mean, the detective fed him the line about Shanann killing, you know, hurting the girls. Right. And he went with it. Right. So who's to say, you know, right. everything that he is saying is fact? Well, Tammy Lee, uh, who is by the far the greatest investigator, detective agent ever, I'm a huge Tammy Lee fanboy. So if you're listening to this, Tammy, just know that we all think you're awesome the way that you reached out and took his hand and he just went with you and you read, led him straight down the path of confession and he mm -hmm. absolutely just poured it out. Again, I feel like he was, uh, he, he operates off of plans, you know, like him grilling the chicken breasts uh, on Sunday evening, getting his meal prepping ready and the way that he, as soon as he would receive a dirty picture from Nikki, he immediately moved it over into his uh, secret app on his phone. He was very disciplined about those type of things. And so when things did not go to plan on Monday, he didn't know what to do. And he hadn't—he didn't have enough time and he absolutely didn't have enough rest to be thinking clear enough to formulate a new plot. And he just caved. He felt like he, he was losing his relationship with Nikki, which was the sole motivation behind all of this. She had told him, I do not want to talk to you again until this is all over with. And so Tammy Lee was able to just walk him straight down that path. And he just went right along and caved. Yeah, he just crumbled. Just absolutely crumbled. Now, whatever he's told us, though, like you're saying, because of the way that happened, you're absolutely correct. That is front page news that he will tell you or say whatever he feels like you're wanting to hear at that time. Mm -hmm. And so uh, let's talk about the Confession Letters book for a moment. It, we both know that it is well written for first time authors, very well written. There are some grammatical errors uh, in her defense. It's a monster book and she pounded it out quickly. Uh, and because of that, I feel like her writing team uh, should have handled those things. Again, I don't want to get into any yeah. of those type of stuff, but it's a well written book. There are some things that are questionable in it. One thing I do question is, uh, again, how the manner in which he committed the death. However, all of those things combined still play into the narrative that Nikki was just unaware that he had killed his girls. I think she knew he was married. I think she knew he had kids. I think she he was telling her that he, they were going to get separated and he was sleeping in the basement and that he was doing this whole facade with the real estate agent and taking the screenshots and sending them to her uh, to play to uh, Nikki that mm -hmm. they were selling the house because they're getting divorced. <clears throat> right. When in all actuality, they were trying to downsize. And as far as Shannon knew that 
Uh, everything was just happy and go lucky. I think he was also really playing the card to Nikki that Shannon wanted to live this grandiose fake life on the internet. And so that if Nikki was, and I'm sure she was, seeing everything online that Shannon was posting everywhere about how wonderful and great their life was, I feel like Chris had convinced Nikki that those things were only happening because she was trying to sell Thrive and that, that was her means of income and that was her form of advertisement. Uh, the happy, wonderful, perfect life, perfect life. And that, uh, that's not been said. That's my theory based again, off of the things that her and he have said about each other and about the events that, uh, he really had her convinced. Uh, why is she being so shady and why is she not saying their names in interviews and why is she being aloof? Well, it's because she's embarrassed and she's freaked out and she's scared and she's young and she's immature and she's uh, flaky anyway, and uh, she doesn't want to be involved. And that's and that's really all it is. It's not because she was involved in any form of murder. It's because she was involved with a married man whose wife is pregnant. Right. But and like you said the other day, ultimately, she may have felt guilt in that, not from being involved, but guilt that maybe all of her actions inadvertently led to that to their death oh yeah i absolutely think that on and so maybe that's why she was hesitant to say their names you know oh i'm sure she feels even to this day i'm sure she feels responsible that if it weren't for her he has even said that he wishes he had never met her two sentences later he goes on and says that he wishes he could speak to her again (laughs) um but he says that he wishes that he had never met her and she, I'm sure she feels that if, it, if she had never been in his life or this uh, affair had never taken place and it was absolutely the perfect storm when they met, his wife going out of town, um, them having so much time alone together, it really played into the narrative to Nikki that they were separated and he had all this freedom. He goes to North Carolina, they get back two days later, she's gone again, he's still showing an aggressive or a, a, a certain amount of freedom that he normally doesn't have and it just continues throughout that whole summer and then all of a sudden she's coming back and back to reality she's about to go out of town again but that next time she goes out of t- town again it's chris is going with her and they're going to aspen and so it's right back to reality where um, he's the family guy with two kids and works for anadarko and he did not want to go back to that life he wanted to stay in this whole little fantasy life that he was living with Nikki. Mm-hmm. And so she had made it clear to him that uh, this isn't going to happen because you're married and have kids. Well, he took that as, well, I got to get rid of them. And she knows that. And I feel that because deep inside she knows that she feels guilty. She feels responsible and that she's going to carry that the rest of her life. And um Again, I don't think she did anything malicious, and there's nothing here to really show that she has done anything to uh, be involved directly with him murdering his daughters and his wife and his unborn son. So. Well, I, I agree. And I think Chris was already had one foot out the door, I think. He had fallen out of love with Shanann probably a long time ago. You can just see from the videos of their interactions, you can just see it on his face. He's not in love with his family, even his little girls. I I don't know. Yeah, and when, that, she, when she was surprising him that she was pregnant, again, mm-hmm. you can just tell showed no excitement Mm -hmm. right exactly well i'm of the belief that he was never in love with shannon that he loved her and that was his boo and the mother of his children and whatnot that she was just a girl that he you know that called him back you know that he hooked up with and he first wanted to come along and that he ended up and they settled down into this this life together and then when he met nicole when he met Nikki, 
it progressed into him falling in love. It was exciting and it was secret. And every time they would get a message from when they started there in June, uh, he would get even more excited. And she was excited also. She knew he's he's the guy at work everyone wants. She's the girl at work that all the guys think, you know, is hot and uh, talk about. And it just, you know, they're texting, they're talking, they're emailing, they're texting, they're talking, they're emailing. He goes to San Diego. As soon as he gets back, she immediately leaves. They go to, a, uh, him and Nikki go to a park and start talking. And it just, he stays over at their house. Uh, she apparently is just like obsessed uh, with the bedroom. And he is just all about that. And, uh, you know, I feel like he's one of those guys. He got married when he was about 25. And again, was never one of those guys that dated a lot or had a lot of attention from girls or even was outgoing and showed attention to girls. Uh, and that all of these play into the, the timing and the location and the perfect storm for this to just escalate and just turn into this massive, right. disgusting, horrible, one of the worst events to happen in human history, uh, regardless of how he did things in that three and a half, half hour period, he did things. And Nikki was not there. There's nothing to show that she was there. Yes, she doesn't have an alibi for her whereabouts during that time, but she doesn't have an alibi for her whereabouts the night before or, or, or many nights. Right. And so it's. But it, it just it's clear that Chris was over the top in love with Nikki. Right. She was not over the top in love with him. Oh goodness, no! The whole time that he was in North Carolina, she's sending him nudes. She's also messaging with that gym guy and apparently one other guy that's here in Colorado, um, and sending messages back and forth and text messages and photos and just, you know, you can tell by her phone activity when she drives to work and when she would drive home from work. The entire time she was on the phone with somebody, and the moment she would get off the phone with one person, she'd turn around and get on the phone with somebody else. Mm -hmm. Or there would be, it would show that where she would make a phone call and somebody wouldn't answer, she'd immediately call someone else. She just, it's like she has to be in communication with somebody or, you know, she's probably one of those people who like leave the bathroom cracked open when she uses it because she needs that just human connection (laughs) to somebody else in the house. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and Chris uh, and her were just this compatible at the right time in the right place and this turned into them um, having an affair and that affair led to him killing his family and again I don't think that she had anything to do with it um, it's horrible what happened to his wife and his children and his um unborn son i honestly believe that we're never going to get the real truth on what had actually taken place from august the 11th or 12th through the 13th in those hours of the 12th and 13th when uh, whatever happened from the time she got home from the airport at 1:48 a.m and the time he started his truck at 5:18 a.m um, we'll probably never actually know the truth because Chris will never be in a place where he's going to be honest and tell us. Right now he's found Jesus and he's uh, writing letters and there's all kinds of conspiracy going out with his cellmate that there's a relationship and his ex-cellmate about letters and uh, handwritten analysis of cards and that him and Nikki are in communication now and that his old cellmate, you know, all that nonsense. And again, who cares? He's behind bars. He's where he needs to be. Uh, so right now, him and Dieter are the only two survivors of the whole deal. And I'm not even sure where the dog's at. I want to say that her parents have Dieter, but um, Dieter the dog. Dieter the dog. But uh, which I again also think that Chris got into where he would leave Dieter out, so the motion sensors would be set off, and Shannon would tell that the sensors were going off and that he was home. Mm-hmm. Again, just showing that, you know, Chris being Mr. Smarter than everyone else. But again, nothing here. There's nothing to show that Nikki had any involvement with the murderers and that there's anything here that's actionable. And that's exactly why the prosecutor's office didn't go any further. However, I would have been a a detective at the time done two things differently. I would have absolutely pushed to find out more information about that 6.16 a.m. ping from her phone in Frederick, Colorado. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, again, Betty across the street did say she saw somebody's truck parked out there. Um, some people call a little SUV a truck. I drive an LR4. We call it a truck all the time. It's not a truck. Um, so, right. Um, it's perspective. It, they could have easily pushed Betty a little further to find out does truck have a bed on it? Did it not have a bed? It was early morning. Her forerunner at the time was white. Uh, you know, I did a, uh, a couple mornings where I was doing a perspective at different times in the morning of light reflecting on white vehicles, and I could absolutely see where the argument could be made that it was, it was silver or gray and it being a white vehicle. Um, again, this is building a mountain out of a molehill. Right. There's nothing there to show that she had any involvement whatsoever. It could have just been her being crazy, like you said, in the moment mm-hmm. and... You know, I'm just gonna do a drive-by and right. see who's there. Because his wife just got home in the middle of the night. Who and, knows why? Well, and he's telling you know, and, and it's, you got uh, Nikki again. They've been on the phone all that that time the night before, and that's the time that Shannon was supposed to be home from the airport, and she's already running late. Uh, who knows that that could have been what made Nikki suspicious? Not for something malicious like murder, but for something you know, like he's playing head games with me and his wife because they're supposed to be getting separated and. She agreed to the, the divorce now, and I think she was just driving by being crazy, but that's the first thing I would have done if I was a detective differently, is push to find out more about that. Second thing, I would have sicked Tammy Lee all over Nicole, and I think that Tammy would have been able, because she would have been immune to any type of flirtation, and, and not that any of those male detectives were uh, reciprocating that, but what that does is it, it plays to Nikki's psyche because in her head, she's gonna speak differently and behave differently because she thinks that she's playing. And I think that her speaking to Tammy Lee, she wouldn't have felt that way and that Tammy would have been able to push her in a way that that wall would have uh, been down from the beginning and that defense, would, she would have been able to just crack. And I think Tammy would have just walked all over her. But I think everything shows uh, from Nikki's behavior and things that she said that she did not want to be there. Her father or attorney uh, were the ones who put, pushed her to go ahead and get herself into the limelight before they discover her. You know, when she went in and talked to the detectives, they were well about, they knew about her. I mean, there's notes in the case file from as early as the morning of August the 14th with her name handwritten. I mean, they knew about her. Right. I agree. I mean... And just her interview, her story doesn't change. I mean, she doesn't deviate at all. Like, I mean. No, you get more details as the interviews go on mm-hmm. and including with the Denver Post interview, you get more details, but those details don't really change. You're right. Uh, they, she you know, expands on them. And she doesn't speak as if she's like memorized this play-by-play, you know, plan, like, this is this is my story and I have to stick to it. It's not at all like that. It's, it's just her talking and this is what happened and, you know, her recalling things as they come. Now, could she have known about this and given him the green light to do this? Could she have fed him the Oxycontin that he allegedly used? in North Carolina. And if he did do that, I don't think it was to cause a miscarriage. I think it was him actually attempting to kill Shannon with an overdose, if that even happened. And I'm of the belief that it did not happen. But let's say that uh, that and Nikki may have been involved in that. Nikki may have been involved in uh, feeding him ideas, direction, misdirection, and she's playing everybody as the victim. The only thing of it is there's just n- nothing tangible to say that and there's no continuous or consistent evidence to amplify any of those thoughts that she did this you know there might be well this is a little questionable but then that's the end of it there's Mm -hmm. nothing that really compounds any of these things that people say are definitive things that she must have been involved or they wouldn't have taken place um again the search history she's just being just being a girl guys do it too i mean it's just it's this age we creep we creep people like I creep people all the time I probably creep on average of two or three people every day just random people I'll see somebody in my suggested friends 
that I don't even have any clue what connection there is whatsoever. I'll still just creep them just because. And I'll sit and spend 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes looking at all their pictures. People I don't even know who on earth they are. I'll click off of their page and move on to something else. Never see this person again, but I've just spent some time creeping them because that's just what people do and everybody does it. Right. One thing that you have to think about or that I'm curious about is was Shannon's Facebook or social media, whatever she had, was it open to the public or was it locked down? You know, where she had to approve a friend request or something for anybody. With her being that Thrive uh, person, it probably was public. Well, if you remember on the day that uh, all this happened, and when she had flown to Arizona, he sent her the infamous picture of the doll with the white sheet over her over the doll to gauge his reaction. Which, again, this isn't about him, but I feel like that plays into the narrative that he killed the girls at the house. Again, if you recall when that happened, we were at home. That's and, true. And you immediately yeah. jumped on Facebook and you went and took an original screenshot that you still have yeah. of that photo from her Facebook. And That's we, true. So I was able to look at her Facebook we photos. did. If you remember, yeah. August the 14th, we sat there and seeing the rest of the world was seeing all this also. But for us, because we live here, <clears throat> this wasn't just the nightly news. This was our local news that we got to see every aspect of this case as it unfolded. And so we had a, a, a more of a unique perspective being locals. But if you, yeah, I recall we sat mm-hmm. there and then we went through all her pictures. And yep. because then I remember us talking about well, God, maybe he didn't look at this. And he really, he was playing us uh, indirectly by just looking at her Facebook on how happy and how perfect their little uh, relationship is. That just goes to show how fake social media is. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't really know somebody until you know them personally, face to face. No, and that's one thing that he kept repeating to everybody that was... Uh, close to him and the people that were close enough to know about what their personal life was like is that it was not p- picturesque and it was all fake a woozy on the internet and that they fought and they had some knockdown drag outs and there's talks of the neighbors seeing fights and them uh, immediately within 30 to 60 seconds wrapping that fight up and were hugging and because they knew they had an audience and uh, Nate you know overheard them screaming and having yelling matches at each other you know and so Again, and his text message was were able to illustrate that. That uh, I think that that also he played that to Nicole. That look, see, see how fake everything is. So what you're seeing online is fake because Nicole's search history is all over the place. She was searching other coworkers. She was searching um, how to prepare for anal sex. She was, I mean, all kinds of stuff. She was searching, and so her search history shows a lot of activity. Why on earth? I mean, like, uh, I think it was Dr. Phil. He was like, give me a break. There's no way that she, I don't believe that for uh, one second, I think is what he said, about her not uh, creeping and looking online and knowing everything about. And then in some interview, Chris actually slips and says that she knew that she was pregnant. And Yeah, I find that hard to believe that she didn't know she was pregnant. I think she did, too. Um, Maybe, maybe not. Uh, because I, again, I still feel like there's something to the whole him immediately denying that the kid was his, but then later that night, you know, as they talked all night on Monday into Tuesday, he admits that the kid is his. So I, I don't know. Again, semantics doesn't play into what happened 24 hours before that when he murdered his family, when he annihilated his family. I still find no nothing tangible. But she could have. She absolutely could have. We've been shocked all the time. Um, we have. We went to Dateline University, and we've seen every single one of them. <laughs> and because of that, you know, we've been surprised many times. Yeah. She could have. Yeah. It, it's there's definitely things there that are very questionable that could, you know, could be proven otherwise. Yeah, but I don't think there's anything that's actionable. Yeah. So, again, let's go around like we how we started. Do you think that she was involved or had knowledge of or was just as clueless as the rest of us? Um, I mean, now I'm more leaning towards the side that she really wasn't involved or as involved as I thought she was. 
after hearing all the different yeah. facts. Yeah, that was that was me. I mean, I was originally thinking, well, I think maybe that was her walking out, you know, yeah. at, on the mm -hmm. um, surveillance video. But after listening to that hour and a half long interview of her talking and this and going over everything that you just went over, I don't think she was involved. I really don't. I don't think she was either. Um, I think she was involved with a married man whose wife was pregnant and had two kids. But again, I can't say that because, you know, I feel like his testimony in February of 2019, where he describes how their relationship started and the way that they casually just ran into each other and then how uh, that she started flirting and how he pulled out his phone and said, we moved from North Carolina and this, you know, the lock screen of Shannon and how their relationship kind of developed over text messages. And then one day those text messages just kind of took a turn and uh, it, the relationship heated up from there. All of that and the way he says it, it all is just so very, very believable. Uh, it, it's very convincing. But again, he also goes into detail and describes the Rockets game on August the 11th in great detail and where they sat and the excitement of different plays and who he was with and it's very convincing. So you just, Chris, uh, whether he knew it or not, he is just a natural liar and he's really good at it and he, I don't, I don't know if I, what I think it is. I think that uh, based off of the interview that I saw of his mother, who, again, doesn't really fit into this, but I think had she gotten here with his dad, then he would have uh, lawyered up, clammed up, and all of this would have played out completely different and could potentially still be in trial now because she would have convinced him to plead not guilty. And anyway, but watching the video or the interview with his mother, and knowing the relationship with Shannon, that Chris, again, playing into his psyche, is one of those guys who had just been conditioned to lie and to cover up and to play it cool his behavior with his mother and with his wife so he wouldn't get in trouble for mm -hmm. something that he had said or done. Don't or rock the boat. Don't rock the boat, walking on eggshells. And that the, they had conditioned him to become a good liar without him even knowing it. Mm -hmm. And then the first time that he's actually on stage with an opportunity to really, you know, show his unknown skills, he just rolls with it. And he's still rolling with it today. You know, yeah. now they're trying to play, paint some sort of narrative, whether he's involved in this or not, against Nicole Atkinson. That's the friend who raised the red flags about Shannon not being home in the beginning. Give me a break. That woman's a hero. That woman, I, everyone needs a friend like her that'll be there banging on the door and your husband saying, don't call the police. And, and she does it anyway. And um, really is why Shannon's flight being delayed three hours, but then uh, Nicole alerting the police. Uh, it really just, Chris wasn't expecting, you know, the, the, the gig to be up as quickly as it was. And all the talk about whether she had more involvement. She didn't. Just shut up. Um, she's a good girl who's a good friend and yeah. um, who just, you know, unfortunately got wrapped up with the Watts family. But had it not been for her, uh, every bit of this would have come out, but it would have played out differently. Uh, it would have maybe been the next day or the day after that. It would have given Chris's mom time to have gotten to Colorado, which then would have locked down him on the legal side of things. And all of this would have went differently. So, Nicole Atkinson, if you ever hear this, we salute you. Uh, again, um, there's nothing here. I'm sure we're going to hear back a lot of feedback with regards to that she was. And uh, we welcome it. Uh, if there's something tangible out there that we have not seen that's that's real, not just speculative, and by tangible, we mean can be verified or backed up by two or more sources, uh, or is just so blatantly obvious that you can't deny it. Right. And again, we're, and there's nothing there. We're we're not none of us are like we're we're team Chris or we're team Nikki or we're team Shanann. Like none of that. What Chris did was a horrible, like probably the worst thing I could ever imagine of a murderer um, to exist. 
I think Nikki was is just a you know I wouldn't say innocent bystander but she you know was uh, got wrapped up but was not involved in the murder right she's just some chick that she's one of those girls that you have a good time with and uh, not not a malicious you know crazy murderer whatsoever so Nikki wherever you're at uh, no, nobody's really on your team. We think you're a homewrecker, but uh, we don't think you're a murderer. At least right. not yet. But if something else comes out that really points that direction, it could potentially bring all of these things uh, together to where these puzzle pieces fit and they show how they actually do compile into something that uh, implements her as in being involved. I do think that the uh, last interview that they had with Chris Watts was to go uh, into depth to find out if Nikki had any involvement. Of course, they ended up getting a ton more information than what they initially went there for. There's nothing that says that. That's just what I think and what other people think. But uh, again, nothing that we have found indicates that she had any involvement. 